0: If you think you know my next guest, think again. This is a woman who has overcome hardship after hardship after hardship, but yet she walked into the room for this conversation, head held high, shoulders back, and full of life. Maria Menunos is a reporter, host, actor, producer, New York Times bestselling author, and podcast host. But beyond her impressive resume, she's a mother, a daughter, and a fighter and someone whose perspective continues to impress and inspire me. You might remember and love her from her time on E! News, Access Hollywood, or even hear it today. With her bright personality and her infectious smile, she has been a light on our TV screens for more than 20 years. But there is so much more to Maria. Let me tell you, this girl is a force. She has a depth that might surprise you. Beyond her career, her life has been quite a ride with both highs and lows. And at each turn, she has exhibited incredible strength, grace, and unshakable faith. In 2016, Maria received shocking news. Her mother was diagnosed with stage 4 brain cancer. While caring for her mom, Maria started to notice that she was feeling off herself. Just a few months after her mom's diagnosis, Maria learned that she had a brain tumor herself. The news was unimaginable. The two received brain surgery within months of each other. Maria's tumor turned out to be benign, but sadly, her mom's was not. Maria lost her mother and her best friend in 2021. While she was coping with this devastating loss, Maria's health struggles continued. She was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and began her fight once again. I am so, so happy to share that Maria is now cancer-free and on a renewed journey of healing. On the other side of all that darkness, there was light. Maria is a new mom. After 10 years of battling infertility, she and husband Kevin welcomed their beautiful baby girl via surrogate. And now she's using what she's learned on her healing journey to help other people because that is who Maria Menounos is. Through her podcast, Heal Squad, Maria taps into all the ways we can become, as she calls it, the CEO of our own health. There are so many things to love about Maria, but what I admire most is her generous heart, the way she shares her life with us, both the happy moments and the trying times. Maria sees the power in vulnerability. Hearing her story is a beautiful reminder to never lose faith. And to focus on the lessons that come through each experience, I am in awe of her strength, and I know you will be too. I'm Hoda Kotb. Welcome to my podcast, Making Space. (laughs) <laughs> First of all, I just want to say it's so fun having you back here at 30 Rock Thanks. because this was your home about how many lifetimes ago? A bunch. long time ago. What does it feel like? Because you're at a different stage and I want to go through the stages of your life because I feel like you grow and change on the inside throughout all these steps. But where are you like right now? If you're, If you were to describe how you are and where you are right now in your life.
1: I think I am... At probably the best place I've ever been, the happiest I've ever been. Um, I mean, listen, I I hope that we get better over time, right? We're supposed to keep growing and getting better. And I think that if I look back at Maria then at 30 Rock, Mm -hmm. oh my God, she had no clue what she was doing. Mm -hmm. And now I have so much more of a clue. (laughs) (laughs) I want to go even down to like hair, all of it, hair and makeup. You thought you needed all these things. then. Now I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it myself. Right. I never needed it. I never needed it. I I never needed all those things people told you you needed. That just slowed it down, made it harder, made you more self
0: conscious. Oh my lord! I want to take it way back though. You're a little girl. Mm -hmm. You're growing up with your parents who are from Greece, Mm -hmm. and it's the true immigrant story, if there was one. What was life like for you as a little girl growing up in your house?
1: For me, it was I had to kind of be the boss from Go because my parents didn't speak English. Uh So I didn't speak English growing up. I was that kid in school that needed to learn English. So I was in those classes. They were English as a second language. Mm -hmm. It was me and this kid, Long Tran. (laughs) Uh, And we, you know, we had a lot of kids be really rough with us and... Not nice, because we didn't understand the language, but there was a really beautiful teacher named Mrs. Brenner who helped me along, and um, all my teachers were wonderful to me. But um, once I learned the language, and as I got older, I had to help my parents pay bills and write letters and all the things that first-generation kids do, which Uh is why when I was here at NBC... One of the stories I did that I was super passionate about was immigrant kids Mm -hmm. and the plight of immigrant kids, because you have to grow up so much faster Mm. and you have so much more responsibility because your parents need your help. What kind of values
0: did your parents set for you? Because those things are what carry you to today.
1: Ah, my gosh, so much. I mean, obviously having manners and Mm -hmm. being a good person and... Um, working hard. yeah. I got to see that firsthand. How did they show you? Well, my parents were janitors at nightclubs all over Boston and they couldn't afford babysitters. And my mom also, I don't think even if she could, would have because she Mm. was so scared. Mm. And so we went to work with them. And from the time I could hold a broom, I was cleaning nightclubs Mm. all over Boston with them. And I watched my dad with type one diabetes almost die on the regular and We'd go to the hospital and he'd rip the IVs out and go right back to work. So then that's what I did when I started working. I remember being in this business and I I couldn't keep up and I, I was eating fast food mm-hmm. and, and then I was dehydrated and I'd have to go to the hospital. And I'm like, I know how just, to do this. Do what so, I got to do, rip it off, wait. go back to work.
0: When I think about your dad, the way you're describing him. You know, your dad is the pillar of strength. Your Mm -hmm. dad is the one who's infallible. Your dad's going to take care of everyone. To see your father in that situation as a little girl, I mean, you say it like, oh, that happened, but I'm trying to picture you as a little girl watching and wondering, is my dad going to be here tomorrow? What was that part of your life like?
1: It was terrifying. Yeah. My mom and I really had to hone our intuition Mm. to know if he was dead or alive I mean it was like that simple from a young age it was oh my gosh he's not home on time and where is he and then she would start the phone calls police stations hospitals oh my gosh friends family where is he and then we just would have to like tune in and there were so many moments where I would tune in I'd be like mom daddy's stuck at the other place he can't get to us okay and we were waiting for him at one mall for dinner with family Mm -hmm. on a Sunday and I was like, he's stuck at the other place. So they'd find out he was at the other mall. Oh, good. The car had broken down. His blood sugar had dropped. And like, it was it was like that. So when I went to college and I moved in and moved away from home, it was the scariest time of my life. Because I'm like, what if he dies and I'm not there to save him? Because that's what I would do. I would be in high school and I would hear in like a voice, he's not okay. Mm. And I would race home, skip my... Class and race home and find him comatose on the floor and have to revive him. That was every day. The firefighters knew our names. We knew their names by heart. They were at our house all the time. So there was definitely a lot of fear and anxiety growing up, which is kind of no coincidence why I've had so many health issues, I think, because I lived in fight or flight forever. For a
0: little kid, and if you're in high school, you're a kid. <laughs> yeah. You're a kid it's too much so it's too much for a kid because to think that you're responsible for your parents life is way too much for a kid yeah how did you process handle deal with it on the regular like that
1: i don't know i think i'm processing it now i think that i'm in therapy and have been and trying to heal mm. from those traumas um you know my poor mom you talk about a pillar she was the one who really had to take care of everyone and mm-hmm. and be that rock for everyone but you know it's it it takes its toll i mean again mm-hmm. you see what happened with my mom too mm-hmm. you your body can only handle so much stress mm-hmm. and then you enter a stressful business
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> for work you chose it yeah and
1: then there's a whole other set of things that happen with that and then because you're kind of not really in first position mm-hmm you're not tended to emotionally in those ways because it's life <laughs> and death all the time. Right. And that's what I'm starting to learn from some of the brain-based development people I'm talking to on my show every day where um you know you you get sick when you have to deal with things like this. It's it's crazy. There's so much to it, but I think I'm trying to unravel a lot of it now and and heal from it. I think my my daughter is my 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 medicine every day. I think mm. she's healing me because mm. it's just so much explosive love all day long that I'm like oh, okay. Yeah.
0: It's all right. You can feel it all. Yeah. When I think about your relationship with your dad, I know that it was paramount. Do you know or when did you know that he was proud of you?
1: I think I always knew you know, he made it kind of challenging because he would always say no to everything. Like what? If I wanted to do a pageant or I wanted to do that. He was so scared of everything. Yeah. My mom was the one who really helped me be able to do a lot of the things I wanted to do. Um, but, you know, once I started achieving outwardly, he was proud. Both of them were proud. I mean, they would tell me on the regular as I really started succeeding in my my industry that, Mario, from where we come, we never imagined these things to happen to us. I always took my parents everywhere. Mm -hmm. So they were just so blown away by everything.
0: Well, I can only imagine like your parents seeing you succeed and what that must have felt like for them. So you want your dad's approval, obviously, Mm because every girl does. And so when you decide you're going to pick a boy who you want to date, and there's this kid, this guy named Kevin, and you know... (laughs) (laughs) Who happens to be here? Did you tell your dad, "Hey, look, I'm dating this kind of cute guy." I met this guy, or just tell me how that went down when it came to your dad meeting Kevin.
1: Well, it was ugly, (laughs) Hoda. It was ugly. Um, I didn't say anything because it wasn't that kind of uh, household. We we didn't really talk about things. My dad didn't allow dating till I (laughs) was 18. That was strict. It was adhered to because I was Mm -hmm. terrified. Mm -hmm. And when I met Kevin, I was just turning 19 and things were just kind of happening. And it just didn't go over well once he discovered it Uh because Kevin wasn't Greek. I like to think my dad probably knew there was some hanky panky going (laughs) on. And that was like hard for him to understand that his little girl was growing up. Uh Um, But, you know, he made it about the Greek thing. And I know that was something that was important to him Uh to carry on the traditions and to be able to, you know, have that dream scenario that he had in his mind. Did you feel like
0: you had to choose at that point?
1: Yeah, I did. And And I chose Kevin because I said, I've done it your way for 18 years. You raised me well. I am now making my own choices. I believe in this person and in this relationship. And he pretty much disowned me and it was a brutal, almost two years of not speaking.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: Um, Now talk about someone who loved her father more than anything, lived to keep him alive and now I'm not speaking to him and the fear of something happening in that period where I was setting my boundaries as a young woman was really, really scary But I had to do it because I wasn't going to live my life for my parents in terms of what they wanted. I had to choose for myself. Trust me, if I had chosen the way they wanted to go, it would not have ended up the way it did. No. And they're much happier now. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Well, I do think it's interesting because they raised you to be a, like, kind of independent, even though they raised you to have your own mind, and you have your own mind, and you made your own choices. So...
1: Now they love him more than me. (laughs) Isn't that how it always goes? (laughs) Yeah, you go through the hell, and then later they're like, oh, Oh, Maria, (laughs) give me the best. (gasps) He better than you. Oh, oh, thanks.
0: So... When did it thaw? Like, because to make that choice Mm -hmm. is big at that age. A lot of girls would have caved to their dad and said, you know what? Yeah. I can't miss a Christmas. I can't miss a family gathering, family first, that kind of thing.
1: Well, I watched relatives cave to their families and have to say goodbye to the person that they loved. And I didn't like that. Mm. And I saw the regret that they carried And so it was really, really hard and really, really painful. Um, But I knew eventually things would work out because my parents love me and I know that they want the best for me. My mom was with me Mm -hmm. and secretly, you know, she was always there, always with me, always, Mm -hmm. you know, having my back. It was my dad, and my dad's so tough. He's so stubborn. Uh, yeah. Oh my goodness. He's softened so much uh, over time. But back it was then. it was like who's gonna win? And it really had to happen when I got on TV. When I made it on television, it was getting really hard for him when people were coming up to him about his oh, daughter. Oh
0: wow, they're so you must be so
1: proud of her and all that stuff. So at that point, you know, he had to give in. So I won. (laughs) So you won. Of course you did. Of course you did. Choosing
0: a profession in the spotlight is tricky Mm -hmm. for many, many reasons. What made you decide, huh, I think this is going to be my route?
1: I think it's in you from go. I. You know, when I was really young, I remember at first it was, I want to be a teacher. Then I was going to be a veterinarian. Then I wanted to be a marine biologist because I loved flipper and I wanted to play with dolphins. Uh -uh. And my mom was like, Maria, you can do that on the side. I was like, okay. And then I remember watching Joan London. Joan
0: London, wow. And
1: loving her. Yeah. And just, I loved how classy she was. I love that she was such a great representative of a woman and how she was just, she was what I wanted to be. I wanted Mm -hmm. to be on TV and I wanted to be classy and Mm -hmm. respectable, but I also wanted to do all these other things too. I wanted to act, I wanted to sing, I wanted to do all kinds of fun stuff. Yeah. So I figured with my parents, if I studied broadcast journalism, right, I could get in the world right. and then play in the other arenas. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I did.
0: So throughout this time, like you said, our profession, mm-hmm. is ver- there's a lot of pressure. There are time constraints. You have to fly on a dime. You're not eating well. How were you feeling physically as you were kind of navigating this time?
1: So- I'm the one that chases fire trucks and ambulances. Yeah. I love news. I love live. Yeah. I love being in the mix of everything. Yeah. I loved when they would say at three in the morning, you gotta get on a plane. All
0: right, let's you're go. Like, oh, you it loved it. Pack so a bag. fun. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
1: I miss that. Um, trying to manage it all was really challenging. And I think it's challenging for so many because you know, you're you're thrust into a whole new world and that's why i'm always trying to help young people as they're entering the business because there's no handbook mm-hmm. and it's and it's a very intricate business as you know so i did the best i could but yeah i would end up in hospitals with you know low potassium or dehydration or I was living on fast food three times a day. It was the only way I could survive. And then when I was here, I was doing the Today Show. I was doing Nightly News. I was doing Access Hollywood. I was writing books. I was doing some TV commercials and movies. I was doing so much all at once So much because I loved it all, but it was a lot. Were you chasing something or did
0: you just enjoy the ride?
1: I just loved it. Yeah, I loved all of it. I've never had a plan. I've always said, God, take me where I'm supposed to go. Mm -hmm. I'll be a good person. I'll work really hard, but I have no plan. I don't know where I'm supposed to go or what I'm supposed to do. And a door would come and I'd go right through. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes.
0: <laughs> I'll go. Uh, you said, God, show me where to go. Mm-hmm. How important is is your faith and how has it kind of guided you? Because as we're talking about your life, you're about to hit some really big scary potholes going yeah. forward. How has God helped you? Oh, I'm already crying.
1: <laughs> um My faith is everything, it always has been. (laughs) So I remember going to church on Wednesdays before choir practice, really early, just to like guttural cry. (laughs) I would go in alone in this church and pray. And I've always had such a good connection because I needed it to help my dad. And so, you know, whenever something would happen, that was the first person I (laughs) asked for help. So. God's been my best friend all along and has always helped me through everything. So um, that relationship has always been super strong and only got stronger.
0: Mm. You really needed God as yeah. you were going to start navigating some really tricky waters ahead. Um, you said, you talked about how your mom is always your pillar. She mm-hmm. was this one. She was the the one who kept the family, you know, in check. Um, will you talk to me about you know, we never imagine our mom getting sick or or having anything to worry about when it comes to our moms. But what happened with your mom?
1: So, I remember in 2016, my cookbook that I did with her uh-huh. was coming out, and we were cooking for Bobby Flay at the house, mm-hmm. and she. The ovens weren't working, but then she was burning stuff. And I was like, this isn't like her. Yeah. And then we were making all the recipes for the book, and she wasn't remembering things. And she was burning stuff. I'm like, Mom, what's, what's, what's wrong? Yeah, what's going on? I would never have known that there was a brain tumor going on. So at some point, she wasn't feeling right. She was going to the doctor's. I remember going to a couple of appointments with her and the doctor was like, well, if it's not this, we're going to test her for fibromyalgia. Mm -hmm. I'm like, fibromyalgia? My mom doesn't have fibromyalgia. Yeah. Yeah. And then within probably a month of that moment, she was diagnosed with stage four brain cancer and our lives just completely flipped upside down. Time stopped. How did she handle that
0: diagnosis?
1: We were in the hospital together. And my dad and my brother had just left to go get some coffee. The doctor came in and he sat on the bed and he said, um, so you have a, a brain tumor hmm. and um, you need to have surgery and it's called glioblastoma. And my mom was like, okay, no tears. Hmm. I'm like, Gulp. "Yeah," sitting there like, yeah. Does she even understand Does what's understand happening what's with the going. language barrier? Is there is she missing anything? Yeah. But she took it like a champ. And then that meant I had to take it like a champ, hmm. at least externally. And then behind the scenes had to start coordinating and had to start being her quarterback and realizing that her care was now in my hands. And figuring out what the best course of action was and where we wanted to have our surgery and and so my life as a brain tumor expert and caretaker began, I mean, even though I was a caretaker before too. Yeah. I was a co-caretaker to my dad with her, but yeah, um, this was, yeah, this was big. I think it's one of those things that
0: when you're faced with something like that, when you go into a mode like you went into, which is I've got a checklist and I got to take care of it. Yeah. That gives you something to do mm-hmm. and something that needed to be done, obviously but when you were putting your head on the pillow at night because really other than finding the right doctors and the right place it's not up to you it's you know after we've done yeah. all the things we can do it's out of our hands completely how did you like find any kind of peace during that
1: time so i always say in the beginning it's so hard it's it's devastating i remember walking outside of the hospital um the first two nights and screaming, Screaming. like just guttural scream crying. Um, I was alone. Kevin was on the West Coast and because there was only one seat left on the flight and Mm. I just took it and ran. Mm -hmm. And it was really, really hard. And then when I got her back to L.A., you know, thankfully I had Kevin and I could scream into the pillow Mm -hmm. or cry with him when she wasn't looking or wasn't Mm -hmm. around and, you know, you go into action, so action helps, mm-hmm. you know, feeling like you're doing something is really helpful. And then at some point, you know, you just, you start really leaning into God and praying and then little things step by step, she gets through surgery, she's safe. We got that done. Okay. Now she's recovering now. Okay. Now we're doing treatments. Now we have to start thinking of what are some of the alternative things we could be doing to support her. And so it's a journey. It's really challenging. It's really, really hard. It's, it's it's the worst pain I think you can go through is not knowing if your loved one is going to survive something.
0: And it's harder than going through it yourself, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Well, I was, interestingly enough, at some point I was like, God, I wish you gave this to me. I would have handled it better (laughs) because I didn't understand after surgery and radiation, her brain was really damaged And she wasn't herself. Mm. And so... How was she? You know, she, certain things, she was, she kind of reverted to like kindergarten status. Like she was, you know, turning on stoves and putting on the heat full blast or the AC really cold. Like just didn't... Things, yeah. She could, to the normal person, she would seem normal, but then she would do abnormal things. Mm -hmm. And it was really hard because we didn't understand what we were dealing with at Mm -hmm. that time. Right. And so I remember saying that. And then lo and behold, a couple months later, guess who had a brain tumor? I mean, you
0: start getting headaches. Mm -hmm. And I would imagine if I were you, I would have thought the same thing. I'm stressed out. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm doing too much. I'm trying to make sure everyone's okay. If I could just rest, I would feel better. So what happened for you?
1: Yeah. So I started getting really bad headaches and I thought it was the stress of taking care of my mom. At one point Mm -hmm. they told me the tumor was growing. I'm terrified again. What am I going to do? I'm trying to work at the same capacity, if not more, because I didn't Mm -hmm. want anyone to think that I was slipping because of Mm -hmm. my mom. And work was always such a big priority. And being the A student, I didn't want anyone to feel I wasn't giving it my all. And- I started slurring my speech on set and I literally would Joe Coda on set. Sorry, guys. That's my stupid brain tumor. You said that? So many times. (gasps) We always know. I even knew there was something wrong with my pancreas. I had a viewer reach out to me and say, you predicted this last April on your show. And I went back and I saw it and I did. I said, I think something's wrong with my pancreas. I like was tuning in for a moment. And this was two months before I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes and probably eight months before I was diagnosed with pancreas cancer. I had no idea what I was doing in the moment, but I knew. And the same thing with the brain tumor. I diagnosed myself. I called my doctor or, and I went in to see him and I said, I'm having this ear pain, this really yeah. bad ear pain. I must have an ear infection. And I didn't. Yeah. And he said, what else are you feeling? I'm like, well, I've been slurring my speech. I'm getting really bad headaches. Oh. Yeah. And he goes, what? And I go... I know you're going to think I'm crazy, but I think I have a brain tumor like my mom.
0: Oh my gosh. Yours was not a cancerous brain tumor, Thank but it God. had to be, you had to have an operation. Mm-hmm. Same doctor who
1: took same care of your mom. doctor, just months later, same waiting room. It's bananas. Oh my gosh.
0: So you have your surgery. Mm-hmm. What's your mom's state while you were, because she must've been worried sick.
1: She wasn't at her best. Uh Like I said, the radiation had done a little number on her at that point. Okay. And so she didn't really understand what was happening. You know, it was only after I did an interview months later and she heard the story and she said, I wish I could have been there for you more. I didn't know what was happening. Yeah. And a lot of people were like, oh, your mom must be there for you. She knows what you're going through. I'm like, no, no. But I had Kevin. And, and I had my dad, did. and I knew she was there for me in another way, but she couldn't yeah. be there the way um losing your mom
0: i mean look i don't there 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 are things in life that are crippling, and you you had a beautiful relationship with your mom um what did you lose?
2: I
1: lost my best friend yeah, yeah. She left me with a really great champion here, but she was my (laughs) first champion. (laughs) And, um, you know, I I also lost my identity after because for five years I was her caretaker. For five years I was her problem solver. And um, that was really hard in the beginning to kind of, you know, move on from that. But I really allowed myself the time to mourn her And mourn so many losses because now I was entering a new chapter in my life and um and starting a new relationship with my dad. That's so interesting. Because I realized my my relationship with my dad was so much through my mom. Mm -hmm. I don't know, my dad wasn't somebody who liked to be on the phone. So mom, how's dad? Dad's good. Hey dad, how are you? Okay. Yeah. I had to start a new relationship with him. Uh And so the most recent health stuff really formulated a new relationship with him and now with Athena. it's um, It's been really special. Coming up, how
0: Maria continued to face her own health struggles and the diagnosis that changed everything. Stay with us.
2: Every parent is a busy parent. There's enough on your plate without piling on your kid's homework. And considering how much teaching methods have changed, most of us are a little rusty anyway. Consider IXL, an excellent resource for homework that can make a huge impact on your child's ability to learn. Backed by research, kids using IXL are actually scoring higher on their tests. Our techniques help them master topics in a fun way, complete with positive feedback. We're seeing improvements all across the country, as IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S., And IXL is also very affordable. One month of IXL costs less than the typical hour of tutoring. On just one website, IXL covers all the kids in your home from pre-K to 12th grade. Sign up today to get 20% off your membership at IXL.com slash H-O-D-A. That's IXL.com slash H-O-D-A.
0: Feel like you've had more than your share, and your story's not even finished at this point. Um, it's. <laughs> I a don't lot. want
1: any more. I know. <laughs> no mas.
0: Well, I think when you when you said when you talked about your pancreas and how you felt that, so you had a sense that something wasn't mm-hmm. right. Tell me how you learned what was wrong and the treatment.
1: So, I I think it have to be for almost like at least. A year and a half or so, I look like I swallowed a basketball. Mm. I'd been on fitness covers my whole career, flat washboard abs. Never had that. It's like, what's going on? And so I saw a gastro doctor. They were like, you know, just trying to see if I had celiac or something bothering me. Um, I kept trying to figure it out. March twenty twenty two. I had an endoscopy and colonoscopy, trying to get to the root of mm-hmm. what's happening. Sure, they found some little things, didn't find the source of this, mm-hmm. and then that was it. I go, wait, guys, um, the investigation doesn't stop. Like mm-hmm. we're still trying to figure right. out why what is it, what's right. happening. Yeah, and so next, the next month, this is what the viewer tipped me off to. I am talking on my show mm-hmm. about how I'm so bloated. Don't know what's happening i mm-hmm. kept taking pictures of this because mm. i was trying to eliminate things from the diet yeah. to see if there was a difference right. and i said mm. something's wrong and i'm going to keep investigating till i find it mm-hmm. and i said but today's guest is uh, a medium she's going to teach us how to tune into our bodies oh. i said so perhaps you know i'll tune into my body and i look up to the ceiling and i say So I would basically tune in and I would say, I think something's wrong with my pancreas. Okay, that is... And then I launch into a whole discussion about the pancreas. This is so random. And that was two months before I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. I'm diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. First thing I say is, I don't have this. I don't don't have this. Mm -hmm. What, What are you talking about? But because my dad's type 1 diabetic, everyone's going to jump to the conclusion, of course, you have this. Mm -hmm. We should have scanned my pancreas because at 43 years old or whatever I was at the time, there's no reason for me to get type 1 diabetes now. Right. At this stage, right. But we didn't do that. I'm learning. I still don't know Mm -hmm. everything. And clearly (laughs) nobody else (laughs) does either. And so um, I launched into a real severe health journey with a naturopath who also didn't believe I had it. Yeah. Explain what a naturopath is for people who don't know. So, I you know, I don't know their exact definition, but mm-hmm. a naturopath is like real alternative. Okay. Um, get to the root cause, mm-hmm. spend two hours with you, mm-hmm. really understand your body and your makeup and help you optimize the different things that aren't optimized um, to get your body back on track. Okay. And I started seeing results, and my body was getting stronger, and um, then I started having these weird abdominal pains that were super strong. Mm. I was on a plane, and I thought I was going to die, and I had three hours left on this flight. Oh, my gosh. And Tums were not working. Nothing was working. And so... I thought, oh, I ate the farro. Maybe my stomach's mm-hmm. becoming really sensitive to gluten. Never eat farro again.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: In November, it happened again. Mm. And now I'm buckled over, yeah. can't lay down, can't sit up, go to the hospital. They scan, they do a CT scan, and they say, everything's fine. Oh, jeez. And so I go home, and then, you know, I start feeling better again. Yep. And I'm feeling great. I'm working out. I feel awesome. Mm-hmm. But I said to my doctor, I'm like, this is just so weird. Yeah, makes no sense. And by December, I went to a party where a woman stopped me. And I swear my mom sent her and she grabbed me by the shoulders. And she said, I have a new company that's doing full body scans. You have to come. And she's like grabbing me by the shoulders. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And my friend Anastasia walks by. She's like, you have to do this. And I was like, okay, okay, sure. And when I went, I knew. I knew this was going to discover whatever it was. I didn't know it was going to be this bad, but um, I went. And before I went in, I said to the guy, I said, listen, there's still a brain tumor in there. I don't want you to think mm-hmm. you have to break this horrible news to me and feel horrible I'm right. just prepping know. you. Yeah, I already know. So when I went for my results, he missed it too. <laughs> so we're going through the results live. He had so focused on the brain tumor that as we went from the brain tumor down... I'm like, okay, we're almost done. <gasps> yeah. Okay. Oh, oh. right. Really? I'm looking at Kevin. I'm like, oh, I'm good, I'm good. And he goes, oh, no, what's that? And I go, what? And he goes, hold on a second. And he's clicking through images. And he said, uh, there's a spot and it keeps persisting in every image. If it persists in every image, it means it's a mass. He's like, it's a large mass on your pancreas and you need to go to the hospital right now. Oh, my word. And I hear... Mass on the pancreas. Yeah. And I look at him and I said, So I'm a goner, right? You said that? Yeah. Oh, jeez. And he was turning white and his hands were shaking, and he was really, really unnerved and really like not okay. And so now I'm comforting him. I'm like, I'm fine. I'll be fine. So I shifted from like, oh my God. To comforting. To comforting him. him okay. <laughs> which helped. <laughs> Texting my doctor and saying, I'm coming now. I need an emergency MRI. And when I got there, he was like, I hope this is the dumbest radiologist we've ever met. This would be the coolest joke in the world. Oh my god! We do the MRI, they confirm it. And now he and I are crying in the waiting room because he's been through the brain tumor with me. He's been through this journey with my mom, losing my mom and he's crying. Kevin's just like, we're going to be fine. He like Mm -hmm. is trying to buck us up. He's like, we're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. I'm like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And um, and God bless him. If it wasn't for him, rushing everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really hard to get appointments now. Mm-hmm. You have to wait a long time. And he was so frightened. Mm. He got me in and forced a biopsy. And the head of the hospital said to both of us, as I'm going in for the biopsy, this is nothing. Oh, this geez. is probably just inflammation, maybe pancreatitis, I've been doing this for, I don't know, 30 years. A lot of many
0: years, same story.
1: And he's like, Well, this guy over here has, you know, blown me up. So we're going to do it. Imagine if we I had, had listened to him. Oh, my gosh. And so we went in. Now, you want to listen to somebody who tells you that you're fine. Of course. I was like, Why are we going in for this? Oh, well, let's just go in. <laughs> and he was like, So, um, yeah, it's definitely something.
0: Well, it was something, mm. um, it was cancer. You went through the surgery, and you are cancer-free. Thank God. Thank God. Now, you learned a lot, and which brings me to your podcast and all these things. We see doctors as the be-all, end-all. Mm-hmm. If they tell you it's fine, it's fine. If they tell you to be scared, you're scared. They're like the flight attendant. Am I good? Am I bad? Am I good? Am I bad? What What have you have you learned about the medical profession mm-hmm. from your own personal experience? What have you learned?
1: So I have learned that we have to be the CEO of our health. Mm -hmm. We have to use our own internal guidance. We have to do our own homework. We have to push. If the pain persists, we have to too. You can't just listen to somebody else tell you what's happening in your body. Mm -hmm. So you have to find another doctor, which is so annoying. You have to get second and third opinions, which is so annoying. You have to keep fighting. I know our system is amazing at so many things, but we think they're amazing at everything. And that's what my goal with Heel Squad Every Day is, Mm -hmm. is how do I help people understand just kind of what the lay of the land is, right? Because then we can operate Mm -hmm. with that understanding. Right now we're operating under their God. They know everything. Trust them because Mm -hmm. we like them. And that's it. Mm -hmm. We have no role in this. Some of us will Google and come in with some questions Mm -hmm. and we'll feel good about asking some questions. But what you need to understand is just like there are good mechanics and bad mechanics. Yeah. There are good doctors and maybe not so great doctors. There are doctors who continue their education and doctors who don't.
0: You put your finger on it right there.
1: And so Mm -hmm. you have to know that you also have to ask, how many surgeries has this doctor performed? I've coached over 100 people on brain surgeries. Every time I ask how many surgeries has your doctor performed, they never know. Mm -hmm. Dr. Black has performed over 5,000 brain surgeries. That's who I want sawing my head open. Mm -hmm. I don't want the guy who has done 500 Mm -hmm. or the woman who's done 500. I want the person who's done Mm 5,000 or over Mm 2,000.
0: Do you know what I'm saying? Find that person. We don't know
1: those things. We don't know that the regular doctor, and I've had them on my show, and they have said, and these are top doctors in their field, I have 15 minutes with you, and I'm devastated that I only have 15 minutes with you. I have to do my paperwork. I have to give you a proper exam, and mm-hmm. then I'm racing to the next person. Mm-hmm. I had a triple board certified doctor come to me and say- I went to medical school thinking I was going to help people. I woke up. I was a pharmacist. Mm-hmm. They match diagnosis with pharmaceuticals. You need both. You need your Western doctor, but mm-hmm. you need a naturopath because the naturopath is going to get to the root and is going to assist. So I have a collaboration and I'm the quarterback
2: mm-hmm. and
1: these are my players. Right. And that's how You're I want charge. people to look at it. But its I know it's overwhelming and right. I know it's annoying, but it's the only way we're going to survive and heal.
0: Well, what's interesting, too, is I don't remember who I interviewed, but he said that when you're going through medical school, doctors spend one tiny fraction of one tiny part of med school on nutrition. Mm -hmm. Nutrition, which is, you know, everything you put in your mouth is either either going to be friend or foe. It's either going to help or harm Mm -hmm. you. You can decide. But what goes into your body isn't factored in. Yeah. It's about Curing the problem immediately. Band aiding the problem. Bandating.
1: Yeah. We're not curing the problem. Yeah. There's no cures. Yep. And by the way, when someone says an incurable disease, mm-hmm. there's an amazing doctor, she said, it just means they haven't found a pharmaceutical for it yet. Mm. So mm. I always try to help people understand to not be committed to their disease to not be committed to the diagnosis, to be committed to possibility, because Mm -hmm. the average free thinker is the one that's going to figure it out. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean you have to have a medical degree. I figured stuff out for my mom. She made it five years with something that takes people six to 12 months. Mm -hmm. And I know it was because we had a full scale approach and we tried things and we used our intuition. I give her and God, obviously the most credit, but- you know, we we have to understand that there's so many ways to do this.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So when you say you incorporate Eastern, how do you do that? So when someone has cancer, mm-hmm. the first thing they do is the standard of care, mm-hmm. chemo, radiation. Mm-hmm. If someone's body, this is just my intuition and in my gut, I'm mm-hmm. not a doctor, mm-hmm. but what my brain said to me is, if someone's body is being ravaged by a disease and it's in the fight, shouldn't we assist it rather Mm -hmm. than now try to crush it more? Those things are going to crush the good and the bad. Not saying don't do it. Mm -hmm. We did it. Mm -hmm. But how about we help the immune system? Mm -hmm. Do some high-dose vitamin C drips. Mm -hmm. Do some acupuncture. Do um, coffee enemas. Get the toxins out. Mm -hmm. So I took my mom to a facility in Mexico that optimized her immune system so she could handle the barrage of treatments. Mm-hmm. We got to look at it like a seesaw. Sometimes, all mm-hmm. right, we're going to do some of these things that are going to be bad, but can we whoop? can we do mm-hmm. some things that are going to help it be good?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: First of all, Hippocrates said, "Let food be thy medicine." Mm-hmm. I was doing high dose vitamin C drips in my mom,
2: mm-hmm.
1: optimizing her, giving her body strength to fight.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I know that. There's so many people that are scared of those things. So I was very careful because I was scared. I have someone else's life in my hands and the most important life in my hands. I wasn't just brazen. I I did things methodically and carefully. But after a couple of years in, I remember her radiologist saying, I'm going to tell you, I think your mom's success is largely due to these treatments you're doing in Mexico. Mm. And they can be done at home. Right. Right.
0: You don't have to go there. You can
1: go do a high-dose vitamin C drip somewhere Mm -hmm. in your town. You can do coffee enemas at home. Mm -hmm. I had to learn all of this stuff there. Mm -hmm. Um, You can eat really clean Mm -hmm. and fortify your body with the fruits and vegetables that it needs. You Mm -hmm. can cut out sugar. We did a a modified the ketogenic diet. Mm -hmm. They laughed at me when I presented it right when she was diagnosed in Mm -hmm. 2016. Mm -hmm. But there was Mm -hmm. a team of neurosurgeons. They're like, just let your mom eat what she wants. And I I interpreted it as, oh, you think she's gonna die, so why try? Mm -hmm. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. So I didn't like that the ketogenic diet was so fat-based because I didn't think that was good for her long-term. Right. So I said, mom, here's the thing. We're cutting sugar. I know you love it, but you can have fat. You can have some bacon. You can have some cream in your coffee. So now we knew we could have those allowances, but I cut all sugar. She would have just a little blueberries and antioxidants. These are things that we can all do. Mm -hmm.
0: Coming up, Maria on how she hopes to help others, plus, life as a new mom. That's after the break.
2: Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Just in and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack.
0: So to your podcast. Yes. By the way, this is a calling. This isn't a podcast for you. (laughs) This is a calling without question. You have Uh, found your purpose. I've seen you through all the iterations of your life. You found it, your home. Yeah, Yeah. I really have. I love it. Because it's everything. It's all the things you want to teach Mm -hmm. and preach and share. I mean, and you're walking, talking. I mean, just, I mean, when I think about when you f- when you feel like you're home. I look mm-hmm. at you and I'm like, "She's home." She Thank found you. it.
1: Yeah, I love helping people. I love sharing my books. As I look back, we're all about sharing information mm-hmm. and sharing what's helping me. Mm-hmm. And I am on the journey with everybody, mm-hmm. clearly. Yeah. You <laughs> I are. need the help too. So, we're doing it together. We're healing together. We're helping each other learn. We're bringing in the best experts to Mm -hmm. give us a different perspective. I always say, not everything's going to be for you. And I might miss the mark sometimes, but I'm just trying. I'm trying to bring in people who are going to challenge us, who are going to show us different ways. So when I had Athena, they told me she was going to have jaundice. They're like, no, 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 all babies get jaundice. I go, no, she's not going to have jaundice. Mm -hmm. And they said, oh, she needs all these um, injections. She doesn't need that. Mm -hmm. I said, she's going to go out into the sun. Mm -hmm. So if you look at my phone, 20 minutes after her birth, because they don't let you carry her, I Mm -hmm. had to go out in the wheelchair with her Mm -hmm. and I'm in the sun with her. And she never got jaundice and she didn't need those jaundice injections that Mm -hmm. they wanted to give her Mm -hmm. because we used what God gave us. Mm -hmm. And so she's already the CEO of her health. She's, her circadian rhythm (laughs) is set which is another thing people need to learn about. Mm -hmm. I think if you're talking about the foundational things, it's your circadian rhythm. Mm -hmm. It's getting your vitamin D Mm -hmm. and it's, it's building that solar callus. So you don't burn and you don't have the bad things, but you know, that's a whole other thing. So we're out in the sun in the morning, the two of us, I'll show you pictures. Literally we are in the sun every day and she loves it. And I'm going to teach her that she has to be in control of her health, that it's on her to Mm -hmm. make these choices And that we can be our own doctors too, with the help of doctors. By the way, we need them. I would say they're great at operating. They're great at emergency situations. They're like, there's so many things they're great at. Healing, not necessarily. Mm -hmm. So you get that companion person on your team to help you with that.
0: I love it. And back to that cute baby. Oh,
1: my little muffin. Can
0: you even believe?
1: how, How old is she? She's four months. What's it like having her on your chest. She's the greatest thing that ever happened to me. I had no idea how insanely amazing this was going to be. She's everything, everything. It's so hard to not be with her right now. All I do is stare at her pictures and her Ooh, videos nonstop when uh, I'm not with her. Uh, um, She's, like I said, the greatest thing that ever happened, my greatest gift, my greatest blessing.
0: Um, since this podcast is called Making Space, how do you make space for yourself? How do you do it each day?
1: So I squeeze it in when I can. Mm -hmm. I know that I have to really guard my health Mm -hmm. so carefully because I need to be here for her. So I have help that Mm -hmm. I can lean on. Mm -hmm. Um, Whether it's my dad or the nanny, Mm -hmm. I got to go do my mm-hmm. my health stuff, whether it's rebounding, meditating, cold plunging, whatever it is. I am on a mission to reverse anything that's going on in my body and I'm doing it and stay as long as I can with her. So I keep visualizing every day me being like an old grandma with her and, you know, holding her baby someday because that's what I want. I want to be with her forever yeah. and ever and ever until I, you know can't chew or talk anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you think the same thing. Oh, my
0: God. You're amazing.
1: Thank you. You're amazing. I loved you
0: before, but more today. Way more today. Thank you, Maria. Thank you. Hey, guys, thank you so much for listening and for coming on this journey with me. If you like what you heard, and I hope that you do, please give Making Space a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And make sure you tell your friends. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. Making Space with Hoda is produced by Allison Berger and Alexa Casavecchia, along with Amanda Sidman and Lilia Wood. Our production assistant is Megan Celia. Our associate audio engineer is Juliana Mastrarilli. Our audio engineers are Bob Mallory and Katherine Anderson. Original music by John Estes. Bryson Barnes is our head of audio production. Missy Dunlop-Parsons is our executive producer. Sharice Williams-Laredo is our senior producer.
2: Just in and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack.